Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Wait for the Lord. Much of our faith is about waiting for the Lord. We pray, and then we wait for God to respond. We hope in Jesus, and we wait for his return. Waiting is a core part of our faith, and waiting is essentially an act of surrender. It's about opening up our hands, our plans, our expectations, and trusting in God's intention, trusting in God's timing. Waiting is a way of saying, I'm not in charge. I'm not in charge. It's a way of acknowledging, I am not the king, and this is not my kingdom. And so, we wait. We wait. This waiting is at the heart of the prayer that we pray every time we gather. This this morning, we began with the prayer, thy kingdom come. Right? Every week, we begin by praying, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And every time we pray this prayer, we recommit ourselves to this posture of surrender and of active waiting for the coming kingdom. Now, you need to hear this. Waiting is active. It is an active thing. It's not just sitting around twiddling our thumbs. Waiting for the Lord is an active posture. It's something that that you you sit forward, you lean into. You don't just sit back, right? It's why we, we must be strong and take heart, as we just sang. Waiting can be a very active and demanding thing, right? This, this word waiting, uh, we, we hear the active reality of waiting at the, at the core of the word um, that we have, adventure. Um, see, the, waiting is, is core to this season of Advent. It's core to the season of Advent. And that's where we, we find that, that in the word adventure, right? Uh, the, the word Advent comes from the word arrival, it comes from the Latin word for, for to come, to arrive, and, and arriving. Um, and an arrival is not a passive thing, right? We hear that, again, as I said, in this word, adventure. To go on an adventure is to be in a constant state of arrival. It's to be in this constant state of arriving. That's what an adventure is all about, uh, it's an entirely active thing. Once you have arrived, the adventure's over, right? Right? But, but the adventure is the state of constantly arriving. The adventure itself, Advent itself, is a constant state 
of arrival, of movement, of journeying toward. And so the season of Advent that begins today is about the adventure, the constant arrival of the kingdom of God. As we actively wait for the Lord with strength and courage. So this Advent season, the next four weeks, uh, these words are going to be our motto. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Is what I want to to pause and reflect on over these weeks as, as we watch for the coming kingdom and wait for our King. We continue to pray, thy kingdom come. So today, I want to consider two figures together who speak to us about and show us what this active waiting is all about. And so we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter 3. That's where we'll start in just a moment. Um, but, but there's these two figures that we're going to be looking at today. Within the first few pages of the New Testament and the final pages of the New Testament, we encounter two different figures named John. Two different figures named John. Now, the first one, who we'll read about in just a moment, we know as John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And he comes to declare the kingdom of God and prepare the way for the Lord. But then at the end of the New Testament, there's another John, who is sometimes referred to as John the Revelator. John the Revelator, because of the revelations that he had, the visions that he had, and wrote down in the book of Revelation. And his visions, the visions of this John, show us a picture of the kingdom of God. And and he calls us to hope and to wait. And so as we consider the coming kingdom this morning, I want us to hear sort of a a tale of two Johns, so to speak. John the Baptist and John the Revelator. So let's begin with the first one in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. 
The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me, after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the invitation into this season of Advent as we wait for you and your return. And as we continue to pray, thy kingdom come. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it is traditional in the first few weeks of Advent, uh, of traditional Advent readings, to encounter John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And this shows us just how different the season of Advent is from the Christmas season that's springing up all around us during these weeks. You see, the world around us is putting up beautiful Christmas lights and shiny ornaments and decorations. Even uh, religious communities will put up a nativity scene with cute animals and, and an even cuter baby right there in the middle of it, right? But all of that is Christmas. All of that is, is Christmas. Advent begins not with warm lights and cute babies, but rather this strange and startling figure, John the Baptist. Who comes to us in a wardrobe of camel's hair and a diet of locust and honey? The, the preacher and author Fleming Rutledge somewhat comically observed that every year, she writes, I used to buy advent calendars for my children with cute little doors that open and show cute little pictures, but I have yet to find an advent calendar that has a picture of John the Baptist right? I mean, just imagine that, you know, opening up this cute little door and finding this man covered in camel hair, you know, crawling out of it, right? That would be startling. I mean, just imagine getting a Christmas card with this guy on the front of it, you know? Uh, covered in hair, bugs in his hand, honey stuck to his beard. And then you open up the card and find the heartwarming words, you brood of vipers, right? That is just the Christmas spirit, if nothing else was. Right? We laugh. It's strange. It's startling. But this is how the arrival, the advent of Jesus was announced. John the Baptist came to prepare the way for the Lord, to make way for Jesus. 
And as we read about this strange figure, John the Baptist, it becomes very clear that Jesus, that, well, that Jesus or God did not take a marketing or PR class, right? I mean, this past Thursday morning, we watched the, the Thanksgiving Day Parade, uh, which is fun and, and all of that, and there's just constant commercial breaks all throughout it. Uh, and as we saw the commercials, there, of course, um, well-researched and planned to employ all of the most pervasive rhetoric and imagery because why? They want you to buy stuff, right? Black Friday's coming, right? And so as we were watching these, these commercials are all full of smiling, happy people, uh, warm fires, nostalgic Christmas tunes, right? I mean, they're just pulling all the heartstrings, right? They're just tugging on everyone's heart. And you'd think that God might do something similar when he sends a messenger to prepare the way for him, right? You know, God, come on, pull, pull at some people's heartstrings, you know? Uh, or at least do some kind of regal announcement, right? Like a trumpet blast and a squire reading from a scroll. But no, whenever God airs his commercial, it's a crazy man in the desert with, with honey and locusts and hair. And I mean, that's God's marketing strategy. This is the one who comes to prepare the way for the Lord. And yet, it works. All right, look at verse 5. It says, people went out to him from Jerusalem, from Judea, the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They're baptized by him in the, whole, in the Jordan River, right? Perhaps even more startling and strange than John himself is the fact that people flocked to him. Why? Right? They surrendered their lives with the sign of baptism in the river, why? I mean, I, I can't help but wonder, why did people rush to this strange man in the desert? What did they hear in his message that was so compelling, so good, right? This is the one of whom Isaiah spoke, a voice in the wilderness preparing the way of the Lord. We read these words as we started, right? Isaiah says, comfort, comfort my people. What about this crazy man in the desert is comforting God's people? Well, his message is summed up in verse 2. John comes and he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the essential message of the gospel. This is the announcement of good news. And I want you to notice what he doesn't say. John didn't come saying, repent and pray the sinner's prayer so you can get into heaven when you die. He didn't say that. John didn't come saying, repent and accept Jesus into your heart so you can live your best life now. He didn't come saying that. 
He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the gospel. And I can't help but notice it's quite different than a lot of the gospels that we've heard in modern America. Right? In modern America, we hear gospels about personal salvation or about prosperity. And why? Well, because those gospels will sell just like the heartwarming commercials on Thanksgiving Day or whenever, right? Those gospels will sell. In modern America, we don't want to hear anything about a kingdom or a king because, well, we did away with kingdoms and kings centuries ago, right? Right? That's what, that's what this country is all about. We don't want anything to do with kings and kingdoms. In our individualistic culture, the only kingdom that matters is mine right? That's the world we live in. All that matters is my kingdom and what I can get and how I can grow, how I can get what I want. And so, of course, the gospels that we've heard are about me, about my kingdom, my salvation, my prosperity. This is not the gospel that John comes proclaiming. John does not come proclaiming our kingdom. Rather, he comes proclaiming God's kingdom. The kingdom of heaven has come near. So why is this good news? Why is this good news? The the announcement of God's kingdom is good news Because it means that all of the other kingdoms which seek to dominate the world will ultimately fail. But God's kingdom, which seeks to restore the world, will prevail. This kingdom will ultimately be established. You see, the announcement of this kingdom is good news because the king of this kingdom is good. The announcement of the kingdom of God is good news because God, the king, is good. The first house that Caitlin and I lived in uh, was this sweet little home on the corner of uh, a major road. Uh, and our landlords of, of that place we were renting was, was a really sweet couple. Um, and, you know, they, they were almost kind of motherly and fatherly in some ways. You know, she was kind of feisty and he was this very quiet, calm guy who, um, you know, would sort of quietly show up and fix something and then go away and we wouldn't even know that he was there. I mean, it was just this sweet, sweet couple. Um, and it was a great home. We, we loved living there. But one day we got the news that the property had been sold to someone else and that we were going to have a new landlord. What had happened is there is a developer that was coming through and bought up the property next to the house where we were living and behind the house where we were living and really wanted the house where we were living as well to complete his ownership of this whole block. 
right? Because he wanted to develop it. And they actually held out for quite a while, um, our landlords, but finally, I mean, he was just offering and offering and offering, and it finally became something that would have been probably foolish for them to turn down. And I don't blame them for it, right? I mean, that's fine. But, but after this, everything changed. Everything changed. You see, his ultimate plan was to level the whole block and build a big building there. Uh, you know, shops on the bottom and maybe apartments on, on upper levels and stuff like that. His goal was to develop something that would make him money. And single-family homes don't do that. That doesn't make you money. But he did try. He did try. So, you know, we were in correspondence with him trying to figure out what was going to happen with us and, you know, could we stay here and so on. And, and we had kind of worked something out through some emails and thought everything was good. And then two days before we were supposed to sign our new lease, he sent it to us, and as we looked at it, the rent had been raised by over $300 a month. And we were like, oh, okay, that's who this guy is, right? You know, he's trying to make a buck. He's a businessman. He's not a parent figure like the other couple. He is a businessman, and he's there to make money. You see, this is what the kingdoms of our world are like. The kingdoms of our world are trying to suck things up for themselves. When John the Baptist was speaking, Rome did not seek people's good. It sought its own power. And if anyone got in the way of Rome, they got moved out of the way. And the same thing is true today. Instead of Caesar... Uh, today's world is filled with countries and corporations, landlords and developers, uh, so on and so forth, who seek their own good. Who seek to build only their own kingdom and push everything else out of the way. But this is where the good news enters. Right? This is where the good news enters. In the midst of this world of warring kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven is coming near. This kingdom is good because the king is good. There may be temporary landlords who cause us trouble, but we know who owns the world. We know whose kingdom this world is. This kingdom is good because the king is good. John the Baptist comes proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, but more than that, he comes proclaiming the king of heaven because he concludes his sermon by saying, after me, there comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. His message is about the kingdom, but more than that, his message is about the king. Jesus is coming. And he is the king who is good and whose kingdom is good. 
This is the message we hear from John the Baptist in the opening pages of the New Testament, the strange figure in the wilderness announcing the kingdom of God. But now, in the final pages of the New Testament, we find another strange John figure. In Revelation chapter 1, you see, this John, at the end, is not strange because of what he wears or eats. We don't really know what he wore or ate. He is strange because of what he sees, right? If you've read Revelation, you know, right? He's, he has these wild visions that are recorded all throughout the book of Revelation. He opens up his letter by writing, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So right from the start, right from the start, he shows us a picture of God on his throne and declares that Jesus is the ruler of the kings of all the earth. The ruler of the kings of all the earth. Once more, there is an announcement of the kingdom. There's an announcement of the kingdom of God. But then it's after this that things get strange. As we keep reading through Revelation, there are lampstands, there's, there's a shining person, there's uh, those you know, surrounding the, this throne, um, these creatures with wings, uh, there's a lamb looking as if it's been slain, there are trumpets and bulls and, and beasts and, and angels, and I mean, it is a strange and wild ride. But in the midst of all this sort of wild imagery, in the book of Revelation, almost exactly at the center of the book, in Revelation chapter 11, there's a loud trumpet blast, and a chorus of people begin to sing the good news. There is a, a sounded of the, of the trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. And he will reign forever and ever. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. And he will reign forever and ever. See, the, the destroying kingdoms of the world have finally given way to the restoring kingdom of God. And this is the picture that John the Revelator gives us of the coming kingdom. And, and as he continues telling his story, uh, it, it all comes to a great climactic conclusion in chapter 21. He writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. 
There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things had passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. This is a picture of the coming kingdom of God. just want you to sit with it here for a moment. This is the kingdom that John the Baptist declared and that John the Revelator shows us. This kingdom is good because the king is good. He does not seek to destroy, but to make all things new. He is renewing the world. This landlord is not raising the rent, but he will raise the dead. And he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. This is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom that we pray for every week. In our words, thy kingdom come. It's the kingdom that we wait for and long for. So as we begin to close here, this is what I want us to take from here. Just as John the Baptist was called to prepare the way for Jesus' first coming, so we, the church, are called to prepare the way for his second coming. We are called to prepare the way, to announce this coming kingdom, just as John the Baptist did. John the Baptist declared the kingdom with his words. And John the Revelator displayed the kingdom with his visions. And so here's the question I have for us to ponder today. How can we declare and display the kingdom of God in our lives? How can we be a people who declare and display the kingdom of God today? Each of us is given a word to declare.
good news to announce. But more than just a message, uh, we're given a life to live that actually shows the way of this new coming kingdom of God. How can we prepare the way for Jesus' return and picture the kingdom in our lives? This is a question we'll continue pondering in the coming weeks. But for now, we wait. As we set our eyes on the throne and pray, thy kingdom come. Amen.